Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to your Swedenborgian community online. Today, we'll be reflecting on the second creation story from the Bible and why it's there and what it may mean for us through a spiritual lens. As many people know, It's said that Christ always spoke in parable, and our tradition, open to many other paths as well, tends to point to Christ's example as a key one of enlightenment and inspiration. Genesis 2, 4 through 10 and 15 through 17. These are the births of the heavens and the earth when he created them on the day on which Jehovah God made the earth and the heavens. And no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field was yet sprouting, because Jehovah God had not made it rain on the earth. And there was no human to cultivate the ground. And he made a mist rise up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And Jehovah God formed a human, dirt from the ground, and he breathed into the human's nostrils the breath of life, and the human was made into a living soul. And Jehovah God planted a garden in Eden on the east and put in it the human whom he had formed. And Jehovah God caused to sprout from the ground every tree desirable in appearance and good for food, and the tree of lives in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river was going out from Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four headwaters. And Jehovah God took the human and put the human in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to guard it. And Jehovah God commanded the human concerning it, saying, From every tree of the garden you definitely may eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat, because on the day on which you eat from it, you will surely die. So today we'll be diving into how the second creation story from the Hebrew and Christian Bibles uplifts this idea that we should let go of self to find true Sabbath, peace, and oneness, and indeed to re-enter the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Bliss and Interconnectivity that we see described in Genesis 2 and onward. It's interesting because often when we approach the Genesis tales and the creation stories, we get kind of mired in the literal aspects of it. Some people believe These tales are a literal depiction of, uh, well, with the first creation story, the seven days that the universe was made. And then with the second one, uh, the first two people that God uh, put on the earth, even before the plants, according to Genesis 2. Of course, when we start to really dwell on 
these uh, stories as purely literal things kind of fall apart. As we hear in Genesis 1, the plants have already been made, the animals are, have been around. And here we are uh, afterwards, and we're getting human beings before the plants this time, unlike in Genesis 1. So how do we hold this uh, instead of um, dwelling too hard on the literal aspects of it in a way that really speaks to us. So I believe like many parables, we are supposed to approach these tales as spiritual allegory. Uh, Jesus often spoke in these allegories. and In fact, it says he always spoke in parable, that he always told a story to uplift spiritual health and growth and to invite it and not to necessarily say that something actually literally happened. And so if we were to approach all of scripture this way, which we often do even when we say we're approaching scripture literally, we start to see, I think, the true point of the scriptural narrative and in fact scriptures from other traditions as well. Indeed, I think the more we look at these stories as being about spiritual truths and uplifting our spiritual health, we start to see how most of them speak to the openness of spirit and how God has spoken to many people throughout the ages, through many traditions, many religions, and how divinity, no matter your faith or lack thereof, is trying to uplift you in your life as well. So, yes, there are two creation stories, and from this spiritual paradigm, I think we start to see that the second one essentially is a continuation of the spiritual growth that we uh, ended on with the first creation story. So the first creation story ends with the Sabbath. And if you followed along in our creation story videos or written messages, uh, you'll remember that the Sabbath is a spiritual state. Uh, according to our, our tradition and a lot of mystics, that our soul is naturally born from, that the inherent state of consciousness is actually a peaceful one. And the seven-day creation story, in a way, is about the process of getting back there, starting in a place of void and then seeing the light, suddenly having our spiritual vision open, and eventually reaching a state where we are intrinsically at peace, uh, partly because we're in deep connection with creation, with the world around us. And we see elements of that in this creation story, which isn't broken up into days like the first one. We see how human beings are tasked with safeguarding and cultivating the environment. And that is a repeated commandment from the first creation story towards the end. In fact, we could say that that's the first commandment, at least the most obvious one, uh, given that this is the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And I think we lose that today. Today, we are often lost in our own selfish modalities, in our sense of self and uh, ego tripping, so to speak. In fact, that's how our economy is shaped uh, in most Western countries, where we're essentially hoarding cash, we're hoarding resources, and we're not in that village mindset that we see in many indigenous cultures and in many ancient traditions, such as the Israelites uh, that use this tale as their creation story for so many millennia. 
And so in a way, for us today, it's a call back to the roots of creation towards that garden state of being a village, of looking at creation instead of uh, seeing it as something to be um, wrought for ourselves and split up, but instead looking at it as a place to be safeguarded and cultivated for the livelihood of all beings, even those very different from us. Indeed, as we saw in the first creation story, every element of creation is considered good to God, especially humanity. Um, humanity being very good, created in the image and likeness of divinity, is not a, uh, a misnomer or an accidental description. We are conscious because of God. The universe itself is an expression of God's infinity and life. And our diversity, in a sense, paints a broader picture of divinity. The reason each of us is original in our own way is because that beauty, that originality, points to the full divine originality of God. And so the more diversity, the more uh, health in our different cultures, and even, yes, different religions uh, in their health, the more God is expressed on the earth and in the universe. And so safeguarding that life is the next step of creation, safeguarding and cultivating it. When we finally start to accept the world around us as part of ourselves, as an extension of God's goodness in the world, we feel that call, I think, to safeguard and cultivate it. And when we start looking at other people as also images of God, indeed, as an extension of ourselves, to be loved as ourselves, as Christ said, then we can truly lean into safeguarding and cultivating them, not putting them in boxes for their quote-unquote safety, but to uplift their health in the way that they find it in their original uh, state, in their own cultural uh, milieu and uh, space. I think we see examples of that in our own life in the best of possible ways. When we let go a little bit of our need to control and manage and force others into the way we want it, I think we, we kind of lighten up a bit. We find a little bit more peace. And then we can cultivate a life that surprises us because uh, we're not forcing it on them. We see it in our politics and in the world around us. Uh, the fascist states that um, squash originality and creativity versus um, some of those best moments in each of our lives and each of our countries that uplift creativity and wholeness of health. In fact, that's how we find uh, discoveries that make this life uh, even more interesting, more vibrant, and more healthy. And so in our creation story, we have uh, this depiction of Adam uh, taken from the word for ground in Hebrew, Adamah, uh, and his task of cultivating and safeguarding creation given from God. And indeed, we see how everything in the garden, it said, is meant for his use in a sense, but also for his cultivation and safeguarding. And so holding those two things uh, is important, but I think it also speaks to the gift of creation. 
how all of this world and life is meant to be uplifted in its abundance, not sectioned off and uh, cordoned off into uh, squalor and misuse. And so instead of dividing things into property and ownership, if we were to look at it as a garden to be cultivated and uplifted, uh, I think that would change a number of things for uh, most of our lives. Indeed, if we look around our environments for the most part, we have so much land not being cultivated for its abundance. We have uh, so much unused lawn and city space uh, that could be used for uh, gardens, for uh, healthy growth and uh, animal life, could be used for housing, for the homeless and the underserved. So many things, right? We could be providing mental health services for people if we really thought of our fellow human beings as uh, aspects of ourselves to be uplifted. But instead, in our selfish modalities, when we center on ourselves as the most important thing, um, even if we don't think of it exactly like that, that's just how we behave, we see what happens. We see the type of economies we cultivate. We see the type of governments we hire and shape. And it actually leads to fear. It actually doesn't help us to be hoarders of gold and uh, livestock and, and food. It leads to this um, economy of scarcity that we put into hard practice. Indeed, just escaping a mindset of scarcity isn't enough with an economy and a uh, society forcing it on itself. And so we must work to uplift community as a whole, to uplift our governing and our personal practices as well, um, and take it even deeper to our spiritual life and the way we look at every single thing around us. So Adam, according to the inspiration for our community, Emanuel Swedenborg, um, out of the 18th century, the 1700s, uh, was a representation for humankind in this connected state. He viewed everything in scripture like a parable of Christ, uh, to be taken and held as a part of ourselves, uh, to be looked at as if, you know, what, what aspects of these things fit into my life? To, look, to be looked at as if each thing had a meaning for each of us personally, not just uh, a judgment about others. And so when I look at this tale and think about Adam as this state of humankind in this deep connection, I really start to connect with how there are so many cultures that still express this, that can inspire us today, and that have inspired me in the past, uh, that I sometimes just let go of and forget about. The indigenous cultures, the tribal cultures, the, those societies with a village mindset that have often been viewed of as savage and uh, less than. Those are truly the civilizations of our world, not because of the skyscrapers or the weapons they can build, but because of that groundedness, because of that root in Adama uh, that they have. And so to turn back to our history and reflect on the truth of it, not 
get too mired down in our past pains, uh, too ruminating about uh, how we should be vengeful for what's happened to maybe our personal culture or what have you, but instead focusing on the goodness of it. And yes, speaking out about it, sharing those traditions from our cultures that can uplift the whole, sharing those different approaches to economy, to governing, that really truly worked for so many people for so many eons. It's funny, often when we think of indigenous cultures, we think of, oh, that was just a few people. It worked for like 10 people or 20 people or whatever, a couple thousand people. But actually, the more we look at the history of just uh, the Americas, North and South America, we start to realize that there were millions upon millions of people in North America and South America before diseases from the West wiped out most of their populations. Indeed, the first expeditions through South America along what uh, eventually was called the Amazon River, uh, it's said that they saw village after village, that there was no break in the civilization along the river. But by the time the next major expeditions came, those had been grown over because the jungle, which was actually a cultivated garden around these people in South America, um, had grown over these wiped out villages thanks to the diseases and plagues brought by those early expeditions. It wasn't, uh, in that case, an intentional uh, bringing of disease and destruction, but it's what happened. Over 99% uh, perhaps were destroyed and uh, wiped out um, by these diseases. And so it's amazing to read those accounts of these people living in these sometimes majestic cities in South America, and how uh, today scientists are finding that the jungles of South America are actually cultivated gardens, that what we think of as just random growth uh, is the intentional choices of a society that's been living there for a long time, very long time, um, and cultivating what they need. And you could just walk around picking food, no one left for anything. Indeed, the aspects of that jungle, the different elements, were often used for medicine. And those plants are often growing nearby. And to make them into medicine uh, takes quite a process, quite the reflection and the uh, know-how, the expertise of the society. Things that you don't just fall into uh, living in a jungle. And so we get examples of what it means to be rooted in the garden from history. And as we find when we look at the statistics, societies that live in that way are much happier. And often the thing that brings those societies down is our own sense of dominating nature. How our technical expertise allows us some leeway in dominating those cultures and forcing them to our point of view and our economy. That's what uh, breaks the bliss of those cultures and it breaks the bliss of us individually. When we stop centering ourselves on a giving, open mindset, and when we don't think of other people as extensions of ourselves, we turn to judgment because of our fear. We fear because when we're that type of uh, egocentric or, or self-aware, we fear death. We have no intrinsic um, awareness in our outer self of our 
eternity. That thing that our soul always knows, that our deep spirit always knows, we forget in our consciousness. That we are eternal beings in deep connection with everything in creation. So today, we are tasked, given the magnitude of uh, what's before us in society and in the world, with coming back to those roots, with reconnecting with that garden state of bliss. That mystic I mentioned, Emanuel Swedenborg, believed that truly heading back to that state, a state that even in some of these village cultures is sometimes lacking for one reason or another, a state that he believed all humankind had essentially lost because of what's called the fall, um, which in his mind is us turning towards selfishness, uh, not the error of two people in a garden. Uh, to truly head back to that state, we would find a bliss unheard of on our planet for millennia, perhaps, at least with most people. As we engage with our scriptures, with our cultures and religiosities, and use spiritual practices, meditative, compassionate spiritual practices, to start to reconnect with our essential and intrinsic peace and bliss, we would find a realm of humanity, a realm of ourselves that was always there, but was covered over with our distractions, with our lusts, and our feelings of separateness and fear. So taking those moments to just breathe, emptying our mind. Like a Buddhist turning towards the intrinsic peace of our soul, of our spirit. Like a Hindu, like a Christian, like so many other traditions, opening ourselves to the divine consciousness of our soul. Letting go of our fears of the future. No longer ruminating on the pains of the past, but allowing whatever to come up and fade. Like leaves in the wind, like clouds in the sky. coming and going without that struggle of, no, that's not me, or no, I shouldn't think that, just letting it fade naturally. And without that attachment of, oh, I really love that thought because it makes me feel on top of things, dominating and controlling. No, just recognizing that those kind of thoughts always kind of bubble up, but we can let go of them, they can fade more naturally instead of us sitting with so many pains and struggles and conceit, letting go of the vanity, the, the body-centricness and the judgment of ourselves, accepting us as we are, accepting others, even with their foibles as they are, accepting the moment as it is, but determining to work towards virtue, towards health for all beings starting with ourselves. And finally, returning to that garden of bliss.
I will stay here in the house, wash the clothes and wring them out, grind the bouquet for the bread, sprinkle flour on the bed, crack the eggs and melt the butter, open the window, close the shutters, make a fire on the floor and sweep the ashes out the door. You have no idea what I'm doing when you're gone. You come home to see a perfect house and perfect lawn. Oh, sun comes up and sun goes down. And I wait. Sun comes up and sun goes down. And I wake. I wake up and hear the rain. I won't go outside today. There is too much to be done before the setting of the sun. Mop the carpet, sweep the walls, line the chairs up in the hall, turn the table upside down, take my clothes off, dance around, fill the bathtub up with ice, stuff the pillows with white rice, soak the bed sheets in red wine, and then hang 'em up to dry. Make some lunch and take a nap with a napkin in my lap. Put it all back the way it was before you step off of the bus. You have no idea what I'm doing when you're gone. You come home to see a perfect house and perfect lawn. You have no idea how I miss you all day long. Poor thing, who will be here to mess your Up when I'm gone, oh sun comes up and sun goes down, and I wait. Sun comes up and sun goes down, and I wait. Sun comes up and sun goes down, and I wait, and I wait. Sun comes up and sun. Goes down and away. Justine's music is wonderful, isn't it? The Garden of Eden is described as having two trees: the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, coming back to that place of interconnection and in life is a source of life, which is said to be free to eat from. By Adam, by humanity, in this state, and that points to the rootedness in the source of life that we have when we start treating things in this cultivation mindset and let go of our sense of egoic self. On the other hand, we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which it's said shouldn't be eaten from; otherwise. Adam will surely die, and I think we see this state of spiritual death often in our own lives when we become centered on our knowledge of duality of good and evil in our judgment. I think when we are so judgmental, when the world just becomes black and white and dualistic, we are further disconnected with others. It actually comes from a place of disconnection and fear. 
When we have convinced ourselves that we are disconnected, when we tell ourselves that, we feel that when we're kids, when we're not held very well um, in a society that doesn't always uh, treat us very well. Um, in a sense, we're told that we're disconnected and separate and on our own. And that's how we're uh, treated and that's how we often treat ourselves. But as we start to see the world in this fuller lens, even before it's perfect, but resolving in ourselves to turn towards this place of Sabbath and peace, um, we let go of our consumption of the knowledge of good and evil. We let go of our centeredness on judgment, um, dismissing those who are felons and addicts, quote unquote, and um, mentally ill, and instead embracing them as extensions of ourselves so that none of those addiction issues go untreated, if possible, that no mental health issue is just ignored and walked past on the sidewalk, that homelessness and um, pain in so many ways isn't just accepted as a matter of course, but instead seen for what it is, part of our uh, initial, most intrinsic commandment to safeguard and cultivate abundance in life around and within us. It's not easy to take those steps as a society, but I think we'll find that it's actually much easier than what we've been doing. <laughs> and it's much easier for ourselves uh, than what we've been focused on. To start to work from that mindset isn't a matter of um, endurance. Okay, I'm going to become more meditative, more peaceful. I'm just going to work at it, work at it, work at it. It's a matter of recognizing and accepting that we and other people are worth it. Something that we've often been told is not true. So thanks again for connecting with me today and for connecting to this community. Please uh, subscribe and sign up for our emails and other ways of connecting so that we can get to know you. We've recently started our small groups and there's a number of groups going strong. Um, reach out to me if you'd like to uh, join in on one of those at Community at gmail.com and go forth knowing that you're loved. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.